Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pamela Riccia, and this is episode number 276 of the podcast. It's the 5th of May, 2021, as I record this intro. This week, Sue Patterson joins me to answer listener questions. We landed on six questions, and I'm sure you'll not be surprised to know that our conversation went long. So I've split it into two episodes, three questions each. And a quick reminder, these Q&A conversations aren't about giving anyone a quote right answer. We can't know that because we don't intimately know the real people involved. And there probably isn't just one right answer anyway. We can get where we'd like to go through many different paths. Rather, our conversations are about contemplating the situation from different perspectives and through the lens of our unschooling experience. It's kind of like tilling the soil around the question with an eye to helping not only the questioner, but anyone listening find a connection to their lives or help them better understand how unschooling works. So whether the situation applies to you directly or not, I encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind. Let it all bubble away for a while. The questions asked, our thoughts, your thoughts, and see what connections and insights might spark for you. Have fun with it. And before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who's chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support helps pay for the hosting and transcription, as well as my time spent creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page on patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now, here's the first half of my conversation with Sue. Welcome. I'm Pamela Riccia from livingjoyfully.ca, and today I'm here with Sue Patterson. Hi, Sue. <laughs> Again. Yay! Sue is a longtime unschooling mom, founder of Unschooling Mom to Mom, and a coach. She has been on the podcast a number of times, as have two of her kids, and I am so happy that she's back. A few weeks ago, I invited listeners to submit questions for us to chat about. So are you ready to get started, Sue? I am ready. (laughs) Okay, our first question. I love unschooling and I believe in the process. We are in our eighth year of unschooling in a state that requires a report of learning in certain subjects at the end of each school year. Having to track my kids' learning for the school system is the one thing that I dread about unschooling. Will you talk about ways to keep track of our kids' learning without it affecting their learning? Sometimes I am tempted to throw some school learning their way just so I can include it in the report. I would love more advice on trusting the process. All right. Well, the first, you know, with the question about um, how can I do this without it affecting their learning? That's easy enough. You just record it and don't necessarily tell them what you're recording. You're just observing, 
you're having interactions with them and you're gathering the data from that and then you translate that into the schoolie talk yeah. that that you're that you're whatever that is is it your state or your whoever is needing the report um so one of the ways that i recommend to people and it's sometimes it depends because first let's think about sometimes people say oh i have to record all these subjects but in fact they only have to record four they don't really have to record it quite the way their mind immediately goes to. And so get real clear on what you really have to do. And um, and sometimes, I mean, if you live in Pennsylvania or New York, you've got a lot. But if you live in other places, um, you may not have to turn it in to anybody. You may just record it because someday somebody might. And remember that at any point you can say, oops, sorry, didn't do that thoroughly enough. I'll do better next time. <laughs> you know, you can always do that. You're in charge of your life. And so don't, you know, if you feel like I'm so afraid that the government is going to come and that is such a rare scenario. But if you do have to turn something in, maybe you have a, your state has an evaluator or you have to um, give information to a state that's a little bit more restrictive, make sure you're giving them only what they're asking for. Sometimes we as parents are submitting more information than necessary because we want a good grade, because <laughs> we want <laughs> approval. Well, let me tell you, they are never gonna give you approval. <laughs> I don't care how much you submit. Um, and if anything, what I have seen happen is when people submit a lot, it allows them to kind of, oh, well, if you're going to do that, why didn't you do that? And so it might be better to just cover it in a more general way. And so sometimes what I've had people ask people to do is to look at the Department of Education website for your state. And then you can, all right, look up third grade look up the language that they use and just use their language because then they're seeing what they want to see. Check, 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 silent, sustained reading. Got it. <laughs> Which just means they read a few things, you know? And so try to not put too much on yourself and on that recording be real clear about and so it's really important to talk with probably other unschoolers from your area because sometimes the homeschooling crowd tends to be a little overzealous in in their recording because they are still kind of feeling like this is going to be my grade i want to show how great they are i want to show how much they've learned i want to show how i've provided all these things Okay, do that in a scrapbook or something that's a little bit easier, you know, doing it for the governing body, keep that separate, do whatever they need, check, 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 done. Now, how do we share? Oh, look, last year you went to this, this year you did, you know, that's a whole different area, right? Yeah, so, yeah. No, I love that point to be very clear on what you have to do. And there are very good reasons to not over, over explain, over <laughs> over supply, overshare. Exactly. exactly. What bubbled up for me was really trying to make it like as part of um, not having it bubble into our lives, 
and like maybe affect their learning and their choices because I'm subtly trying to get them to make more schooly looking right. choices right. is to make um, the recording pieces as easy as possible. So, you know, if, if you're a writing kind of person, you know, maybe you just set up a little app on your phone or have a notebook with you where you can just write super bullet points on, on what they actually did. Like, don't get caught up doing the translation into school language in the moment because right. that brings that school filter with you all the time. Right. Just record what they're doing. Or if you're more of a visual person, just take a few pictures, right? That will tweak you that, oh, they did this and they did this. Those are the nice reminders. And then when it comes time, then on your own, sink into that translation piece. It becomes easier. Like when you get in that mindset of what you're looking for and you know exactly what you need to report on. So if it's only those four subjects or whatever, you're just going to be scanning through your bullet point writing or your pictures looking for those four things. Right. And it's much easier to get in that mindset and then leave it so that you don't bring it with you every day. If you've got your mind every day, you know, that's when it's much. Do it at the end of the year when you got to turn in your end of the year evaluation, or you've got to write your thing for the future, whatever, but that's the only time I think too, that um, that's such a great point. And um, I think that you'll be shocked when you start recording little things here and there, how much you have to work with, you know? And so for a lot of families, what we've done, and you can do this for yourself is that we have a Google document. You just create one that has columns that has the four subjects you need or whatever number the requirements are. And then you can have it like in a notebook where you just jot it down. We went to the science museum and you put it under science and you also put it under language arts because they read the stuff or you put it under history because they talked about how long ago animals did this. And then the, or maybe it's also geography because, because the earth changed and the plants did this, you know, and you could write it in all of those columns And then it will be easy for you to work with at the end of the year when you're like, we did a little botany, we did a little, (laughs) you know, you just get to call it that because that's the wording that they're looking for. And, and I love the idea of not doing that educational, you know, looking at the DOE all year long. Don't do that because that is. Yeah, that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that brings that brings your that to your lens every mm-hmm. every day, and that's when you can start feeling like you should start putting more schoolish looking things in there right. because you're always looking for it. But right. truly, yeah, try it a couple of times. But I'm sure you will find that just noting what you're actually doing, you will be able to at that point where you need to write the report, translate that into what. And remember too, that a year into it, you're going to personally do a lot of learning. So if you're brand new at this and you think, oh my gosh, what a lot. All right. Know that six months from now, you're not going to feel so, oh my goshy. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to, you're going to be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's a little of that and a little of that and a little of that. And um, a lot of people use Evernote as an app. that you could have like a folder for your subjects that you need. And that is an easy way to like, oh, look, he's playing Minecraft. Take a picture of him playing Minecraft, put it in technology, put it in reading, 
put it in math, put it in critical thinking, put it in wherever you need to put it so that when you come back to look at your folder, you're like, woo, look at all that stuff. And, and you've had plenty to work with. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking too, if um, you have, a, if you're having a bit of a hard time, um, you see what your kids are doing your pictures of what they're doing, and you're having a hard time putting that into schoolish kind of language, just like you were saying, ask your community, right? Yeah. You've gone oh, to, them to find out what the requirements are. You know, you can brainstorm. Okay, I'm having a hard time, you know, writing down what they're learning from this. Oh, you'll get so many great responses from. Well, we can put it in the show notes because I don't know it off the top of my head, but there's a Facebook group that's something like what my unschooler is learning when dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I've seen that go <laughs> so, by too. Yeah. yeah. So if you are not. <laughs> Like, I don't know, they're outside and they're making a bike ramp and uh, and then all you write that in there and you just write, I don't know, they're building a bike ramp. And then you'll get like 20 answers of the physics and the this and the that. And you're like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Even if you don't have to um, record things, I think that's an important de-schooling step it, that helps Absolutely. start to see all the learning that happens in all right. the all these activities. Okay. Okay. Question, our next question. Okay. If I am not yet comfortable, in fact, I'm extremely anxious about giving my kids seven and 11, the freedom to play video games as long as they want, what can I do? I do give them longer chunks of time, but after two to four hours, I have them come off at least for a while. I see my kids give up things they truly love to do, like draw, play outside, Legos, imaginary play, etc because the vast options of games online absorbs them. What do I do if I can't go radical? You don't have to go radical. <laughs> and can I just say, I'm not so much about the label radical. It's, it's not about trying to approach a label. It's like, just focus on what you're doing, you know, and what is working for your family. Okay. And I think a lot of people think, I'm not doing it right, or I'm not doing it good enough, or I'm not unschooly enough, or I'm, you know, remember what this really is about is doing the most individualized approach that you could possibly do. So it's not going to look like mine or Pam's because the individuals involved in your family have different interests, have different scenarios, you have different baggage to unpack. All of that kind of stuff, right? And is something really important to consider up front is, is this causing friction in your relationship with your kids? Like, if this is working reasonably well for everybody, it doesn't need to be an urgent thing to be right. solved. It's not about pursuing the label, right? right? It's about the kids and the family. It's about our needs, their needs. And peeling back those layers. So definitely from the language, there's more to peel back here. But, you know, if everything's working for everybody right now, right, you, don't, right. you don't need to rock every boat to say you're right. You know what I right. mean? There's no unschooling police coming yes. to your door to say that you're not doing it well enough. We're stripping your badge from you. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> but I, I do want to just say, because then we'll get more about her question, actually. Yeah. But um, 
the word radical kind of freaks people out, some people, and then other people are like, I want it. <laughs> and remember, all it really means is that you are taking the unschooling principles that we have about learning and that we're hardwired to learn and that it's all around our life and incorporating that knowledge into how we deal with parenting topics. And so then all of a sudden, it, unschooling isn't just an educational approach anymore. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of permeating everything where we say yes more often and we partner with them to kind of figure out how we're going to navigate this life together. And that's what this means. So a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to be a radical unschooler. Fine, don't call yourself that. But see what parts of your parenting could use a little of that partnership concept in unschooling. Because you'll find that when you can learn to trust them and they can trust you back, you can move in the direction that is going to be less friction like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so whether you love radical or don't love radical, set that aside for a minute <laughs> and, and then think about the, the, the topics and the concepts. And so one of the things that popped out to me on this question is the 11 year old. Because so often parents feel like they don't do what they used to do. Well, because they're not seven anymore. You know, they're 11. And so when you get into this preteen age, it is not unusual to start being kind of bored with the old way, kind of not that interested in those old hobbies that used to be so fun in the living room. And now they're like, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I think that recognized from a growth and developmental standpoint, kids move on and they don't always hang on to the hobby that just warmed our heart <laughs> because that's not their goal. <laughs> and, you know, so I think that when, um, when they change their, their interests, go with it. And the other part that I want to say is that after two to four hours, you make them get off of their I get that, you know, we have had like, and we've been inundated in society with anti-technology and a bazillion articles written um, along those lines. They are not written with the perspective of learning how to manage your choices. If you, if you always have someone else managing your choices, you never learn how to do it for yourself. They're not your choices. <laughs> They're not your choices. And so, how, you know, I think it is it Alfie Khan or somebody that says, you know, the way kids learn to make decisions is by letting them make decisions. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that means mistakes. That means missteps. And there's goodness in that because what that's about is seeing, oh gosh, the sky didn't fall. Oh gosh, I can, I can step forward into something and pivot because some piece of it didn't work, or I don't have to be so overwhelmed like we were when we were school kids, so overwhelmed with the humiliation of the failure or the, or the judgment or the shame that we can, um, we can look at it and say, this part worked, this part didn't, this part did, this part didn't, and then we can patch it together and figure out what our next step's going to be. Whereas if you had all that anxiety from your school experience of messing up, then your your window gets smaller and you can't problem solve. So yeah, yeah. And 
<laughs> Especially when you're anxious and fearful about things, it feels it feels like an all or nothing, all right. right or wrong, you know. But there is just so much richness between those two opposites, and we can kind of get caught that we have to choose one or. The and other. we've been conditioned to yeah. think like that—that that it's all black or white, it's all right or wrong, and you know, it's almost never right or wrong. It's always got a little of both. <laughs> Now, what I thought I would talk a bit about when I was anxious about, so right here, she's talking about um, their choice for video games, Mm -hmm. Um, but really for anything that kind of stretched my comfort zones and made me feel anxious, what helped me a lot was to dive into it more with my, like we tend to step back when we're anxious about something because we don't want to be confronted by it all the time. But it was so helpful for me to actually get more involved with my child and to see what it was that they were getting out of it, what they were loving about it. It helped me deeply understand them and what it means to them. And in fact, I did this with video games with my eldest, and I'll put a link in the show notes. These are going to be full show notes right, this week. Right. We um, have but a couple I, times before, and you right. have done what? What is this? Two hundred and seventy-six episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have an article I wrote. Like, oh, it was for a Life Learning Magazine many, mm-hmm. many years ago. It's called "Everything I Need to Know I Learned Through Video Games," which was what the unschooling mom to mom website. I think I linked to that one. In I bet I bet you did. It mom. is what I learned when I actually just you know what. This isn't, you know, three months, six months. This isn't a big chunk of time in our lives. I can dive into this with them and see what it's about for them. So that's the article is about a lot of the stuff that I learned. So for me, the path forward when these kinds of situations arise involves learning about how unschooling works. And it's like, so understanding why people are making these choices you know, what is the value? Why are people saying yes more? What do we get out of it? How does that help not only their learning, but also our relationship and also understanding our child's perspective, which is what I was talking about. And when we weave those things together and start to see how they connect. So when we're closer with our child, we see more unschooling in action. We start to understand how it works better. And eventually, like for me, every single time is how it ended up. I got to the place where that was a choice I wanted to make. It wasn't because I should be a radical unschooler or I should let them do this. It was I understood unschooling in my child more deeply and understood why I actually would want to make that choice. And you didn't let fear make your choices for you. Yeah, you but, but you need to work through the fear. It's not yeah. about ignoring you it. Say, All right, Pam says don't, so I'm yeah. not. And then you're like, I'm not anxious. Your <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that doesn't work. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking where, where you're after two to four hours, they come off at least for a while. Um, if that's a natural thing for them to come off, then that works better. If you're like setting the timer and saying two to four hours, that just makes them cling to it more, yes. you know? And so you have to be careful of that, that you can have this, you, you have held on to it tightly and you're letting it go 
And so they just cling to it because number one, they're not sure if you're going to change your mind and it's going to go back to the old way because they've seen you do that before. And <laughs> because we all have, I'm not being judgy. We've all done that. And because we're like, okay, try. Oh, not that much. <laughs> and, um, and then to remember that that's part of human nature, that we, that if somebody is limiting us, if somebody were to come to me and say, stop reading that book now, you've been doing it for two hours. And you're like, Pfft. and so the same reaction happens when you say to your kids, and even, even when you kind of sugarcoat it and you're like, wow, it sure is nice outside. <laughs> I wish we weren't stuck in here with technology all the time. Oh, you think you're so subtle. And <laughs> but what they but what they hear is mom doesn't like what I like. Mom's judging me. Mom doesn't get it. Mom, um, all these things that keep the relationship further and further and further apart. And so when you can when you can value the things that they value. When you can stand at the halfway mark and say, I get it, I get it. They're a lot more likely to come closer to you because you extended that to them instead of saying, no, I'm over here. And in order to be good, you must come to my way. And so that is problematic because, because in our nature, we want to do our thing. <laughs> we want to be independent. We want to move in the direction of our strengths and our interests and our curiosities. And somebody that says, yeah, but not now. That is, you're like, get away. That's not. And so no wonder the kids react like that. And so what I have found, because I have a six-year-old grandson, and he just loves my phone. You know, he has got a bazillion apps on there. <laughs> and, um, but I noticed that like at a certain point, he starts to get a little antsy. I'm like, you want to go outside and swing? Yeah, because he knows he can come back to it any time. When he knows that the flow and the rhythm is determined really by him, then um, it's, a, it's a lot easier to say, oh, I'll try your thing. I'll try your suggestion. So your suggestions can't be, let's do this worksheet on fractions <laughs> because <laughs> surprise, surprise, they're not going to like that. But if you said, oh man, the dog needs a bath. Help me, help me. And they're like, yeah. And, or maybe they're like, oh, you're like, you know, I just can't do it. I only have two hands and I need a, another set of hands. But when you have been the person that listened to their needs and their wants, they're going to be a lot more likely to listen to your needs and wants because you've modeled that kind of a way to interact. And you know, some of us, I was reading the, um, the Bonnie Harris book, When Your Kids Push Your Buttons. It's kind of a weird title for an unschooler, but because for me, it's like, well, then disengage the buttons. <laughs> and um, she talks a lot about we have, we bring all this, how we were raised, all these stories to our parenting. And nobody helps us walk through that. <laughs> and really, some of us have had some troubling childhoods. Some of us have had some parents that have been critical. or And those can be things that are hard for us to overcome. You know, I can't let my mom see how much my kid is on the computer or she'll think I'm a bad mom. 
So you got to unpack your baggage. Mm-hmm. You just have, I mean, if you want to get to a place where you're not directed by your fear and past stuff, you do your own personal work. And, and you do like what Pam's saying is dive towards it so that you can see, oh, wow, look at all that critical thinking. Oh, wow. He had to do, you know, some math stuff or he had to do some, and, and you see that they, it's not all, it's not a monolith. You know, they might be researching and they might be doing some various academic concepts and they might be chatting with friends and developing their vocabulary and making a story arc. So many things. Yes, yes. That's exactly it. And that's what I discovered. That's what that article is all about. That's why it's everything I need to know, because there's just so many pieces in there. I love that you brought up stories and the stories that we may bring with us. Because actually last week's episode was like all about stories, oh, really? <laughs> the stories yeah. we tell ourselves. So mm-hmm. that's going to be really cool. If you haven't listened to that one, I would recommend it'll be in the show. Take a seat that. <laughs> I also wanted just to mention, like, like you were talking about how those limitations can get in the way um, because they're going to cling tighter to things that they feel like they, they don't, that they have less of a choice on. If they have an opportunity, they're going to cling tighter to that. And I'll put a link to Pam Sharushian's, um, I think it's economics of TV watching and children, but it's about the diminishing marginal utility of things. Mm -hmm. And it just makes a lot of sense helping people understand when you're doing time-based things. And just one thing that came up to me is when you're looking at time, so maybe you have like this two-hour limit and then you want to go you're taking your kids out to play for a while and then maybe they come back to it or not but just one baby step that you can do that is more considerate and thoughtful about for your kids is okay noticing when your two-hour thing is but when you're going to them not saying your two hours are up but noticing where they are and what they're playing you know, let them finish the boss battle, let them finish the level, you know, and making it less about the clock. And like you said, your grandson, you notice he's getting antsy. He might be open to moving around and doing something else. So making it less about the time or the clock and making it more about the actual people involved and the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that can be super helpful. Yeah. Okay. We're question. Only on question three. <laughs> this one's a little bit longer, but I'm going to share it because all the different aspects. Yeah, do, 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 do. Yeah. I find that as I move ever so slowly, haltingly, inconsistently towards less control and more freedom, I am confronted by much fear. Some things which are valid fears and others less valid. As I allow my son and seven-year-old daughter more freedom and access to online material, my son comes to music and videos that are sexually explicit, gang, drug-related, etc. My kids often listen with headphones, so I don't know all that's being said or sung. He toggles back and forth between video games and YouTubers, and many things expose him to more mature and inappropriate content. He wants to stay up watching YouTube videos all night if I'd let him, which unfortunately I cannot do. I'm just not there. That puts me over the edge anxious. We do talk about some of the things he sees and hears. I guess my confession is about my deep fears and confusion on my own toggling between safety and care for kids and creating a less controlling relationship. I find as I try to let go of control, my fears are triggered and I react with anger because I am afraid. What a confusing and disturbing cycle. Definitely not the positive supportive environment my children can grow and flourish in. Yes, I do have a counselor I process my journey with, but that's minuscule compared to the everyday moments with my kids. 
How do I balance or navigate my own decontrolling journey, which is thick, rooted, fearful, at times anxious and reactionarily controlling, with my kids' journey of freedom, play, and exploration? My husband and I both struggle with control issues, so letting go of it is highly triggering. I've done a lot of work in the last three, four years, but the deep-seated control issues and reasons are not easily uprooted. It's not as easy as just let go more. Sometimes I wonder if I'm doing more harm than good as I let go of control, only to get afraid and angry and pull back control. How confusing for everyone. I do talk with my kids about my struggles and understand the confusion it can cause. It sure feels like a very bumpy process, two steps forward and three steps back. I just wanted to pop in with one thing, like the very first thing that bubbled up for me in that first sentence was rather than thinking about this as moving from control to freedom, try thinking about it as moving from control to connection with our kids. Because freedom, like if that's the kind of word that we're using, even in our self-talk to ourselves, it feels like we're not involved. We're freeing them. We're letting them off on their own. But that's far from the truth of what we're talking about. So instead of controlling our kids, we're connecting with them. Because moving away from control absolutely doesn't mean caring less about them, right? It's not that we're, we, we, we don't care about your safety or anything like right. that. I think it's more about the, the journey from control to connection for me is more about the work of recognizing how capable our kids are right? They can be our partner, right? Back to when we were talking about partners earlier, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) And I do have a podcast episode 240 that Anna and I specifically talk about how kids are capable, and that could be really helpful to listen to. Okay, I have some more to say, but I'll throw it to you, Sue. (laughs) And I do, I am glad that you have a counselor to help you walk through having an angry reaction because that's probably how you were raised. And so we tend to fall back on the familiar, right? And so don't beat yourself up. It's a process. It takes a long time to undo some of those really deep rooted things. What, you know, ways that we interact with our kids and expectations we have for ourselves and expectations we have for our kids. So all that, you know, give yourself some grace and then the other part is um, like, like Pam's saying about leaning towards connection that you c- it's okay to say. So um, some of these scenarios, and, and here's the problem. If you have been saying, I hate that stuff you watch. That's so disturbing. That's not how people's bodies really look. It's not, you know, all the things that, that are typical drive-by comments (laughs) that we make when we are feeling number one, that this isn't going the direction we want it to go. And number two, they are, you know, you didn't, she didn't mention how old her son is, No, but I think that if, if he's, you know, depends, but kids are curious. Kids want to know, what does that mean? Why do they say that? It's a perfect opportunity for you to watch some of that stuff with him and to be able to say, wow, that was so unkind. I don't know what, what would you do if somebody said that to you? Or how would you feel if somebody said that to your sister? Or how would you, you know, you just start to have real live conversations with them instead of thinking I must position myself as the authority 
show my disapproval so they will learn not to do it. <laughs> Don't work like that. If anything, what that does is they will learn not to tell you. Mm-hmm. And, and that is not what you want. You know, what you want is for them to share it with you so that you can bring some real life in so that you can say, well, yeah, I think that people go to jail when they do that <laughs> um, without being judgy, without being, oh, you always hate my guy. You always hate my this. You always hate my that. Okay. If they're saying those words to you, then you've got to zip it. <laughs> you've got to say, show me what part you like. Show me and not like prove it to me, but more of a, um, you are such a smart kid. And you are so curious and the world is so weird <laughs> and we live in a pandemic and you are figuring stuff out. I think that that's so great. So show me what part, show me, you know, educate me, you know, and, and that way they, they will number one, like we said on the other question, be glad you're interested in what they're interested in. The other thing is to know that you might see gang violence. You might see, I can remember when my kids were little and I wouldn't let Michael have um, a gun. Everybody had, everybody gave their kids guns. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not doing guns. We lived on a base, you know, you could, some kids were shot because they pulled a gun, a plastic toy gun in the shadows. It looked like a real gun. You know, it's only gotten worse since then. And so I was like, no, no, no guns. He would chew his toast into the shape of a gun. <laughs> you know, he was curious about it. And then, of course, when he had, because we were, we started as school kids, they, he went to kindergarten and his five-year-old birthday were all other little kindergartners. Every single one of them gave him a Nerf gun, a water gun, and this gun, or that gun. I'm like, I'm putting up the white flag. <laughs> I give up. And I will say he's now 32, has no interest in guns, has never shot a person, has never, you know, all the things that, that you think, oh gosh, um, this is condoning it. Um, that's a story that you've got to kind of work through because you, they know you're not crazy about it. You've probably shared that multiple times, Uh, but they, they want, there's something about it that they're intrigued by. So without letting it, you know, a couple of times she said in here, she gets triggered by different things. Figure out how you're going to breathe through the trigger, because that, when you can do that, then you can connect with him and he won't have to hide it from you because that is not the direction you want to go as you enter adolescence, you know. And as you're connecting, when you're leaving that open space, it, it goes back to the kids are capable. You may leave that space for them to share, you know, how he get arrested, you know, in real life doing that or whatever. Right. You, you get to learn how they're seeing the things. There are some things that may happen that are like go right over their head. Like we don't right. know ages or, and it doesn't even, it isn't even age dependent. It's child dependent. It's right. Individual, right? right. Um. So, you know, they may not be seeing at all or noticing at all the things that are freaking us out. Um. Or they may be seeing these things and, you know, it's just fun. 
um, and interesting for them. Maybe it's a fun thing for them to pick out all those things that, you know, I would never do that or I would never do that. But you won't know that until you connect and have those kind of open conversations. It isn't about connecting so that you can go like you're talking about go and share all the things that are wrong so that you can get them off your chest. It's more about being super curious about what they're seeing, why they're what they're enjoying out of it, what they're picking up, what they're thinking about it. Those are the pieces that are so valuable and that really do help us move through these um, fears and triggers because they are so much more capable than we give them credit for so often. And I did want to say that I really appreciated the observation she made about how confusing it can be for kids to like bounce back and forth. All right, right. I thought that was really valuable. And it's so helpful to recognize that pattern, as she said, and explore ways to move past it, like to breathe through triggers, just to find little tools that are helpful for us to move through those um, because that confusion can definitely erode trust. And I was really curious about, you know, they um, are listening, watching most of these videos with headphones on and and to take little baby steps. Like we talked about in the last question, you know, maybe a baby step would be asking, you know, or saying, can you take the headphones off? I'd be really curious to hear what you're listening to while I'm doing such and such, you know, um, because it may be that they're putting them on because they're worried about invoking those fears right and and because they know those fears may be then they may be told like to turn it off or they can't do that Mm -hmm. Um, so it's super interesting to work through that stuff um, because listening or watching like you were saying diving in more with them when when we're anxious and fearful it truly helps to instead of step away to dive in and see what's really happening because our fearful imaginings so often are so much worse. Like, oh like, Oh my gosh, we go straight to the catastrophe, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my exactly. gosh. They're going to join a gang now because they watched gang violence. Why would they? <laughs> Sometimes they're interested in that kind of stuff because their real life is so not that. <laughs> and so they're like, people live like that. Interesting. You know, you can watch, West Side Story, you know, just to go. And it doesn't mean you're going to join the Jets. (laughs) You know, it just means, all right, story. This is just story to them. And, you know, you watched the Power Rangers or you watched Wile E. Coyote and and you didn't suddenly bring a bunch of TNT and blow some, you know, those things remind yourself just because they see it doesn't mean they'll do it. It's just- And when you're connected- that's when you get to help them process it. Right. Right. That's when you can have those conversations. But as we were saying, especially at first, when they can be wary of what we're going to say or think or do, keep it zip the mouth, as you said, right? right? right. Quiet and just observing for a while, right? Yeah. Giving them the space to have their reactions and for us to see what they're thinking and processing. And then just kind of bouncing back with them, not with judgment, but with right. curiosity, right? Because you know yourself that you don't bring something to somebody that's going to be judgy. Yeah. <laughs> and so the kids are the same. And you may be thinking, no, but a good mom sets the boundaries and shows them we don't talk about women like that. We don't do this or we don't do that. The good people don't. But if you can't have a conversation without getting preachy, you know, then don't be surprised that they don't bring it to you. 
yeah, that you're not part of that equation for them. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Not that it's not hard. I mean, I don't want to sound like, ah, no biggie, you know, because we do all have our own absolutely stuff and we're terrified for these little humans that we adore. And, and I love what you keep going back to that when we really believe and trust that they're good inside, they'll make the right decisions. They've had modeling of, of love. They aren't going to start getting, you know, just thinking gang tears down there. <laughs> it's not going to happen because the life that you're creating is accepting and loving. And all right, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. And supportive. Like if they know that they can come and talk to you about things without feeling judged and shut down and shamed for what they came across, when they know they can have a conversation, you can help them process it. And if you've had a traumatic childhood and you can't do that, there are resources. There's like sex positive families. That's a great website that we can put in the show notes. She's come and talked to my group before and um, Melissa Carnegie. And it's all about embracing without shame and allowing kids to move through their questions and their curiosities and some of us have traumatic childhoods and it's too, we just can't do it. And then let's get you some resources that can and try to help you not make it so um, taboo, you know, that you understand it's just human nature to be curious. We're just figuring our way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And sometimes there are things, you know, that, if we aren't comfortable, if we don't feel, and maybe for now, because these aren't, nothing's forever, right? This isn't, right. this isn't the always never thing again, right? right? We are playing around with the path. Maybe if it's not something we feel we can do right now, maybe we just choose to step back and maybe we ask our partner. Maybe we ask a close friend, can, you know, you be around oh, yeah. watching so that you can kind of like, you can have conversations with them that aren't charged. Right. While I'm processing, you know, there are so many possibilities. We don't have to be at all, and it doesn't need to be all. Right. 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 Yeah, that's a good point. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website livingjoyfully.ca